Well, good morning and welcome. I'm Steve Anderson, your interim pastor help, uh, to help us during this uh, interim period between pastors. And I need you to know that God has led us into a process that we believe will leave our church healthier and more effective for Jesus as our next pastor is found and arrives on the scene. So that's our number one priority during this interim. And we're studying the letters Jesus sends to the seven churches in Asia Minor in order to know how Jesus speaks to his churches and what Jesus might have to say to us. Now before we open our uh, uh, message, uh, let's pause and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for how it reaches into uh, the inner person of our heart and seeks to transform us and change us. Lord, change us today by your word. Speak to us personally, individually, and as a congregation, I pray. Lord, help us to understand your mind, your heart for us, your people. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. Amen. So have you ever been surprised about yourself? I was looking at photos with my younger daughter Kim a few months back and we came to a picture of Kim uh, sitting at a table with a bunch of people that I all recognized. I could see her face and recognize her and I recognized all of them except the person with their back to the camera. And I said, Kim, who's that with the bald spot? And she said, Dad, you know who that is. That's you. I don't usually look at the back of my head. Uh, and um, I guess I've learned that minoxidil might be a good thing for me these days. How well do you know you? How well do you let other people know you? Psychologist Joseph Luft is, has famously created uh, what he calls the Johari window, and it's a useful tool to look at this. There are things about me that I know that I'm aware of, and honestly, there are also things about me that I am not aware of yet. Then there are things about me that others know, and there are things that others don't know about me. Maybe they just haven't gotten to know me yet, or maybe it's something I keep all to myself. And when you put that all in a simple matrix, it looks like this. There is the open quadrant, and then there is the unknown quadrant that's hidden to everyone except God. I don't even know that about me yet. Then there is the hidden area. I know it, but you don't. There's also the facade quadrant. Maybe I'm keeping that hidden, or maybe you just don't know me well enough yet, but there's the blind quadrant, the blind spot, things that others know about me that I am blind to, like how thick is the hair on the back of my head, or more importantly, how might um, I treat my wife cruelly when I'm just thinking I'm teasing her. That can happen in our home. Mental health, Luft suggests, and 
Spiritual health, I would suggest, involves expanding the window that is open for review so that I'm growing in understanding myself and you are growing in understanding me, especially in supportive fellowship. And so that that unknown area is shrinking. And by the way, I think that's what David is writing about when he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, why do I tell you that? Because it's possible for us to believe about ourselves what we want to believe about ourselves and to ignore areas of our lives that really need adjustment and change. Repentance is to stop making me look better than I really am and admitting to God some stuff that needs to change. Lord, what you show me will go to work on. We've seen Jesus speaking uncomfortable truth to most of these seven churches. They are real churches in real places. Jesus loves and cares for his congregations. But that involves uncomfortable truth and things that he exposes that need to change. How they act and react to each other. Attitudes they carry that they might not even know are damaging. Sometimes theological uh, divergence that has taken them away from God's truth. And that challenge is also for us. God, what do you know about me? What do you know about us that we are ignoring, not wanting to look at? From what do we need to repent? From what do I need to repent? What in us, what in me needs to change? This morning, we're dealing with the church in Philadelphia. And um, let's um, have a look at the text in, in uh, Revelation 3, verse uh, um, 7 this morning. And uh, let's read it off the screen here. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, whoever has ears. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Great text. 
at last, a church where Jesus has nothing but congratulations and affirmation. It's, only, it's the only one of the seven where there is nothing that you can point to that is a criticism from the Lord. And that ought to tell us something. Most churches, almost all churches, have stuff they really need to work on. Some, like the church of Sardis last week, are in such desperate need of repair that they're in danger of dying. Let's learn about this location, first of all. What was this city of Philadelphia like? Well, it, it was not a city at all. Hardly anything there except an outpost. For a time, it had the name Neo Caesarea, and we know historically when it was called Philadelphia. So this is one of the strongest arguments for dating Revelation during the reign of Emperor Nero. It was a village, actually, on the trade routes to the eastern provinces where the gospel still needed to reach. Keep that in mind as we get to the challenge. It was most known for its amazing grapes and wine because of the volcanic soil that was there. And along with the volcanoes came uh, severe uh, earthquakes, sometimes tragic earthquakes, it sits right on a geological fault. So this little town had experienced total destruction of their city, and it happened regularly. So these people suffered. We'll also see that the believers there experienced significant persecution and suffering. So here's a tiny little church in an out-of-the-way place nobody takes seriously, and yet, because this little town sits on an important trade route to the east, and because they are faithful and obedient to Jesus' mission, here is a church with a huge outreach opportunity, and that God is going to open for them, and what a blessing it's going to be. Like other churches here, we also see this template or this outline. First, the credentials and salutation. Jesus is the one who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, who opens what no one can shut, who closes what no one can open. And this is a nearly perfect quote from Isaiah 22:22, a prophecy of blessing originally about King Hezekiah's finance minister, but now is applied to Jesus. Jesus holds the keys. He opens and closes, and no one dares countermand him. Closed doors, but open doors of huge opportunity. And listen, it is Jesus who puts opportunities before us, before any church. Sounds a bit like Matthew 16, doesn't it? Jesus' word to Peter, keys to the kingdom, binding and loosing. But here it is Jesus with the keys who opens and closes. And the thought flows right into the words of commendation and congratulation. Next verse, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. This suggests to us that one of the open doors of Philadelphia was to see 
the earthquake and the destruction around them, to see the devastation around them, the insecure nature of life there, and, uh, and to see it as an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus. It opened the door for the gospel. It opened the door for kingdom intrusion. Jesus takes disasters and opens doors with them. People are needy and in their pain discover their need for God. The Savior sees this church's faithful energetic service and enlarges their opportunity, an open door. And it's an open door that no one can shut. We also learn from church history that this sweet little church, though small and poor, reaches out with the gospel and plants churches, sends the gospel to the east as far away as India. And that's amazing. Now the next phrase is interesting because translations differ. The English Standard Version suggests that the doors can't be shut because they have little strength. But I prefer the NIV here. A break in the thought, a period in our language. They didn't have periods in Greek, so it's a little difficult to discern. But it would read, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. What a great word of commendation and affirmation and congratulations. Even though you're small, Philadelphia, small in number, even though you're not impressive by human standards, even though you're weak and needy, you have kept my word and not denied my name. Reminds us a little of 2 Corinthians 12, doesn't it? Paul's thorn in the flesh. Take it away, Lord. It weakens me. It troubles me. And yet the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. It's enough for you, for my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Oh, listen. What's valuable to God, what's useful to God, is not a large church, a powerful church, an adequate church. What's valuable to God is an available church, a willing church, a committed church, a faithful church, even in their struggle and weakness. Sometimes the things that might make a church impressive to the people around that reputation thing we talked about last Sunday, the reputation that is notable to people can cause us to stumble in pride and become ineffective for God. But this is a church humble enough for God to do some great things. And here's a word about some of the persecution and opposition they were facing. Verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. We saw this before in the church in Smyrna, and we see that this church is being slandered by those who are false Jews and are called by Jesus a synagogue of Satan. Now, we're not completely sure who these false Jews are that slander the church. We suggested earlier that they might be Jews who 
are also under persecution, but deflect attention against the Christians and were lying about the Christians, especially in things they didn't understand, like the Lord's Supper, which sounded like cannibalism. We know that that was a false rumor that was perpetuated about Christians. We call that crazy in our world, but you know, that's still leveled against Christians in some part of our world. Whoever this is, Jesus says something is going to happen to force them to respect the church and to acknowledge that they are loved, not cursed by God. Something is going to happen, it says. Some hour of trial and believers will be spared. Just this past week, in my quiet time, I was in Exodus and the plagues of Egypt. Remember those 10 plagues God used to bring out his people from bondage? Amazing how again and again and again the plagues decimated the Egyptians but miraculously missed the Hebrews. Isn't it encouraging that even in times of devastation God can protect his people that in a way that allows them to love and bless those even those who are hurt by the catastrophe. Our missions team is just returning from um, New Orleans, uh, working with Urban Impact, uh, actually helping a lot in the, uh, the rebuilding from Katrina and Harvey and becoming a witness for the love of God, even in the midst of the fear of natural disaster. Again, there's an alternative translation here. Not, I will keep you from the hour of trial. It could also be translated, I will be with you in the hour of trial. And oh, how important for this church that was under such pressure, under persecution, kicked out of the synagogue, lied about, ostracized. They needed to know Jesus had not abandoned them. He hadn't left them as they were persecuted and maybe even hiding from the Roman authorities. He was with them. And you know what? Even if God doesn't spare me in my hour of trial, just to know that he is with me, that's enough. Could he spare me? Sure he could. I'd prefer that. But more than that, I want to be spared. I want to know that he's near. I love how one of my friends out east puts this. You can endure anything if Jesus is your everything. Isn't that good? You can endure anything if Jesus is your everything. Now here's a section of constructive criticism like, yeah, there is no section of constructive criticism like for the other churches. There's nothing the Lord criticizes with this church. It's not like Ephesus. It's not like Pergamum, not like Thyatira, or certainly like Sardis. Hard words for them, but not Philadelphia. And wouldn't we love that to be us? Wouldn't we? 
You know, if you do a quick Google search for churches named Philadelphia, you'll find a bunch of them. Even a denomination named Philadelphia. And even the Pennsylvania city founded by William Penn, who was a godly Quaker, the city was named not for the Roman city, but for the church of Revelation 3. Churches call themselves Philadelphia. Cities call themselves Philadelphia. Nobody names their church Sardis. That was a church under God's discipline. But Philadelphia, that was a church under God's blessing. Wouldn't we love to be them? But listen, you've got to know that in all of Jesus' evaluation of the seven churches, whether he's saying, I have this against you, or saying, well done, good and faithful servants, his words come only from his great love for the church, his love for us, for our health and blessing. Jesus loves his congregations. There is a section of crucial counsel, and these specific words are repeated often throughout Revelation. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. Here he says, Hold fast to what you have so that no one will steal your crown. I remember my grandmother challenging me always to be ready for Jesus' return. I can hear her speaking to me today. She would say, don't do anything you'd be embarrassed for Jesus to find you doing. Do only what you'd want Jesus to find you doing. Adrian Rogers has said, we ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. And wow, that's good. That is so good. Jesus wrote to the Philadelphia church almost 2,000 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago. And that means we live closer to his return today. I'm coming quickly. He said to them, I'm coming soon for us. He's coming sooner. I don't want to be surprised. I don't want to be shocked. I don't want to be caught embarrassed at his coming. Hold tight to what you have, Jesus says. What did they have? Kenneth Quick writes, they had their testimony of faithfulness during bitter persecution. They had an open door of opportunity for greater ministry. They had the Lord's favor, and they'd already won a crown for the way they'd run the race. You know, the Greek games they'd be familiar with. The crown was a laurel wreath the champion would wear. Jesus speaks as if they'd already won it. They're far ahead of the pack behind them. But don't stumble so that someone else ends up on the medal platform. And now the conditional promise. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Do you know where that phrase comes from? He's a pillar of the church. Comes from here. And what does it mean? It means he's a solid foundation. He's a dependable support. He's a rock-solid, dependable 
person that can be trusted to carry responsibility. He's an overcomer, and he's a pillar in the temple of God. And wow, would this have resonated with those in Philadelphia. The earthquakes they experienced. The architects had figured out how to build shock-absorbing pillars at Philadelphia, not like those beautiful, slender, marble columns of most temples. The foundations would split, the walls would fall, the roof would cave in, but one thing remained, there were the pillars. And these believers would think, whatever happens, the world may shake, the earth may quake, but we will stand because Jesus has made us pillars, we will overcome. We will stand strong regardless of what comes. We can endure anything because Jesus is our everything. By the way, none of the original seven churches still survives. All of them eventually died. And there's a reminder of that in the picture you see between the pillars, you see a Muslim mosque. There are today Christian churches in most of those cities, but not the original congregations. John wrote to the Philadelphia church and wrote to them that they were strong and vital, taking every opportunity for the Lord. And that church, church history tells us, endured for 1,200 years. They not just survive, they thrive. You're a pillar, Philadelphia, when the others fall in the earthquakes of trouble and trial and persecution, you will stand. And then Jesus takes out his chisel and says, I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on them my new name. Listen again. You're a pillar. And the Lord is writing his name on you. Remember when you were little and your mom would write your name on your stuff? Why did she do that? It's a mark of ownership. So if it's misplaced, we know who it belongs to. Listen, you belong to Jesus. His name is chiseled on you. No one else. You're his treasured possession. And he writes the name of the city, the new Jerusalem. That's your citizenship. You know, nations rise and nations fall. And I know this is not a popular idea, but listen, if Jesus should tarry, this civilization will go the way of all previous civilizations. Already we are seeing signs of our own de destruction. But as the writer of Hebrews says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our loyalty is to the kingdom. We belong to the city of God, the new Jerusalem that will one day be here in all of its glory. Our loyalty is to the reign of King Jesus. Quickly now, some applications. Can you hear what Jesus is still saying to the churches? To us. Many of us are in a time of suffering and struggle. So was the church in Philadelphia. Can you hear the voice of Jesus in your grief and pain? 
Jesus is saying, I'll be your strength. I'll be your support. You don't have to be strong because I'll be your strength. Do you feel weak? My strength, Jesus says, is made perfect in your weakness. Do you feel weak, Christian? Do you feel weak, Lakewood? That's good. Because you can't be proud when you're weak. My grace is enough for you. Let me heal you and restore you. God does good work with weakness. Here's a small church, a backwoods church, a struggling church, a persecuted church, but they didn't just survive. In their weakness, God used them in a powerful expanse of the gospel. And here's a second application. And it comes in the form of a question. Do you endure under struggle and trial? Or do you fold? Are you a pillar? Or a crumbling wall? Do you endure in hardship and struggle? Here's something I hesitated to say because I don't want to unwisely accuse. But you know, every church goes through trial and struggle. Every church. None have it easy because we live in a sinful world and, and churches are made up of sinners. Forgiven sinners, but sinners nonetheless. Some Christians are, are quick to escape a church going through trial and trouble, and they bounce from one church to the next until that church goes through trial, and then they bounce again. So here's the question. Pillars or crumbling walls? In Philadelphia, they knew the difference. In that day, they didn't have the option of picking up and going from first church to second church. There was only one church, and they endured. And let me say, because you're the ones who have remained, let me say thank you. Jesus values your endurance. Did you notice how those Jesus commends, he commends for their endurance? But are you going to pick up the slack? Are you going to remain supportive? Are you going to remain a pillar? Are you going to be a part of the solution? Wow. This congratulations text has made us ask some hard questions about how would Jesus write and challenge the mistakes and the weaknesses and the failings of this church with our history? Will you stay with us and walk with us when it involves confession and repentance and grief and sorrow? Will we be pillars through that chapter? Let's pray.
Oh, Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your presence with us in the midst of our struggles and our sorrows. We need you with us in the midst of those questions of where have we been and where should we go? We need your presence with us, Holy Spirit, as we ask those hard questions and seek to expand the open quadrant of our life ministry. Help us, Lord Jesus. We are yours. We belong to you, to no one else. Help us in this journey of becoming more like Jesus and of becoming more the body of Christ that you desire us to be in this time, in this age, in this day. Lakewood needs you. Thank you that you will not abandon us. Thank you that you're good for all of our needs. Thank you that you are strong even when we are weak. In Jesus' sweet name we pray.